Hi there, Joanne Grobelar here. Welcome to another episode of the Five All In podcast. Today I have a rock star guest. Her name is Sarah from Dr. Sarah Davies Functional Medicine Clinic. Hi, Jo. Welcome to the podcast, Sarah. It's great to have you here. Okay, anybody who doesn't know what functional medicine is or nutritional genomics, I can't struggle to say that word. Can you tell us a little bit more? So functional medicine is basically looking at health a bit differently. So our aim when we see patients is to try and understand why it is they get sick in the first place. So rather than just everything being geared towards a diagnosis, uh, based on a set of symptoms that you then would usually get some kind of prescription for. Instead, and alongside that, we're also trying to wonder why it is that things have gone wrong for you. Because a lot of the time with the diseases of kind of the Western world and sort of chronic, chronic uh, fatigue, problems with autoimmunity, a lot of that actually stems from our Western lifestyle, the way we eat, the, the amount of stress that we have. And if you actually go in and start addressing problems uh, in the, the diet and the lifestyle, then actually lots of these things can just clear up by themselves and not need any medication. Wow. And I've seen it firsthand because you have worked with clients of mine and I've seen, you know, amazing things and people's lives literally be transformed. Absolutely. So... Um, it was really quite hard for me making the transition because you learn all about functional medicine. I get, went, go along to London uh, to do the um, Institute for Functional Medicine modules and you learn about all these ways to change people's diets and how to supplement. And you're thinking, well, really, is, is just, you know, eating better and exercising differently really going to make a difference? And once I started working with patients and actually seeing the amazing transformations um, you basically can't go back. So can't go back into that sort of mindset of a pill for every ill anymore. I always work with that sort of grounding that I've learned from functional medicine of why is it happening? What can we do about it? Is there something that we could do just to kind of tweak things a little bit that's going to make all the difference for this person? So it's chasing back, isn't it? It's chasing back to those root cause reasons that we have overlooked maybe in the past. Yeah, and the thing is that as Western medics, a lot of our training and a lot of the way that we learn is all based around pharmaceuticals and um, a lot of all the trials that are being done are funded, of course, by Big Pharma, which is great because we're learning how to treat acute medicine, uh, acute medical problems. We can keep people well and from dying when they're really poorly. But the problem is we don't seem to be learning very well what we can do to actually prevent these problems happening in the first place. And we're ignoring this vast um, amount of knowledge that comes from um, people's understanding of nutrition and all the naturopaths for years have been working with just dietary changes. We don't learn about those as doctors. And so we'd have this tendency, this mindset to think, if we didn't learn it at medical school, it can't exist. But really... From my experience, it is, it's amazing to see that just very simple dietary changes can make vast, vast um, changes to people's symptoms. So, for instance, in autoimmune disease, particularly finding trigger foods that are perhaps triggering the production of antibodies, which are then going on to give people 
arthritis or thyroid disease, you can actually get the antibodies to start being produced. And that's something that's really not widely acknowledged at all in Western medicine at the moment. That is insane, isn't it? Insane that we can tweak our nutrition and the antibodies that are literally making us sick and poorly and in pain can be switched off. Yeah. So one of the questions that I would like to ask you is, I have this, you know, wacky belief system. I have been led to, I have been told that, you know, we get set, given at birth, we get given a set of genetics. And the the way that we live in the Western world today is really ramping up those genetics that are maybe really making us sick. And I believe that if you eat well and you seek the care of somebody like yourself, who is rock and roll, that you can literally change the way that your genetics are functioning and and really make a vast difference in your in your life. That's absolutely right, Joanne. So we all do have this set of genetics that we come along with, but actually the genes aren't fixed. And they reckon that around 75% of how you present as a human being, the things that you experience, are mainly down to your environment. So even though you may have got a set of bad genes, there's so much you can do in terms of diet and lifestyle to ensure that A, the right genes get switched on. If you've got two copies of a gene and one's favourable and one's not so favourable, actually, yes, you're absolutely right. The science of epigenetics tells us that you can actually learn to switch on the better genes and switch off the bad ones. Um, If you've got two bad copies, then you're just going to have to live with that. But there's so much that can be done to kind of ameliorate any of those problems if you eat well and live well. That's so exciting, isn't it? It's really exciting. It is. And especially, you know, we've touched on, I come from a family of, you know, not the most favourable genetic pool, you know, in terms of ill health. Um, And, you know, that I've talked to you about that a little bit, where I I don't want to be on the genetic programme. I don't want to be checking my blood every year. I know that with following your protocols, that I can stay very, very well because I don't present with any of the symptoms that my family members have done in the past. Well, it's it's not just you that's got the dodgy genetics. So um, I myself have a a very impressive family history of uh, of problems and I actually developed three autoimmune conditions by the time I was in my early 30s. Um, But like you say, the way that I eat now, the way that I live now, I try to limit my stress Um, I don't actually have any symptoms of any of those conditions now. And so functional medicine for me hasn't just been about helping other people, but also myself and my my family, so my my kids. So we eat differently to the way other people do. And that has really made a massive difference to to my family's health. What a gift. What a massive gift, you know, to do that for your kids. And, you know, we've been talking a little bit today when we've uh, been recording podcasts about how as um, we can create a value system that can really support an- another generation in moving forward. That's incredible what you're doing. It is incredible. Uh, I think it's quite hard for my kids to kind of stand out from the crowd and, and eat differently maybe to other children. Um, it does mean they have to have packed lunches, bless them. Um, but- what does differently mean? What does differently mean to you? So so if they go to a birthday party, because yeah. both my children have, have problems with food sensitivity, then basically I have to take them along a little packed birthday tea. Yeah. Uh, and they're just, they're just used to that. But when it get, gets to the end of the party and every, all the other children take home little bags full of sweets and cakes and things, 
they know that they're going to have to donate that to someone else. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, and how, how do you negotiate that with them? Because that's really interesting for the audience who are trying to implement change in the children's nutrition. Um, well, for my oldest, he actually self-regulates really well because he, he knows that if he veers from the diet that we have at home, that he'll become unwell. Mm. Um, and, you know, even now, sometimes we, we get it wrong. Sometimes we kind of flex the boundaries a bit and sometimes it goes too far and he, he doesn't do well for a few weeks. And, and it really is if he has something that makes him unwell, it can last a few weeks and he really hates that. And so he's actually really aware of how to eat to keep healthy and what what he can't have. And he'll willingly give that up now. Um, the youngest doesn't seem bothered by it at all, but I think he's always been brought up in that food environment and it seems normal to him. That's brilliant, isn't it? So it's just about moving into that place of this is how we do things and this is about keeping as well as a family and you being able to be the happiest child that you choose to be, that you want to be and being consistent. That's what I'm hearing you say, that as parents, you guys have been really consistent. And I think also, so for, for lots of people, when they first start this journey of kind of changing their diet and perhaps taking things out of their children's diet that they've always had, there's this real feeling of deprivation and I think for me, if you hold on as a parent to that feeling of deprivation, then your child's going to yeah. feel that as well. And the great thing in our house is that nobody eats the foods that we can't have. So it's they're just not on the table. They're not they're not there. Um, so it's not as though some family members are having things that others can't have. Um, so there, there isn't the same sense of deprivation at home. But also, I see it as a, a liberating thing for my children because I know that they can live healthy and happier lives and for myself as well you know without without having these foods so why would I want them to have things that would make them unwell and if you can just kind of make that that mental switch from it being something you can't have to something that you're not going to have because it's going to make you well then that that feeling of it's not fair kind of goes away and I think that's really strongly transferred to children from parents and if you can kind of make that switch yourself and um, it makes a big difference that's brilliant so one of the things that i want to ask you then is if you had uh, a, a patient who um was thinking that they can right they get this fantastic plan from you from you and your nutritionist and they go right so i'm gonna do this uh, but at the weekends i'm gonna i'm not gonna do it i'm gonna have flex <laughs> Yeah. So the problem with elimination diets while we're on the subject it is that you need to do them consistently. Yeah. So if you have an autoimmune disease, uh, as, as I do, so I have had arthritis since I was about 14. And it wasn't until I was in my 30s and I first did an elimination diet for my children's sake uh, rather than my own that all my arthritis cleared up uh, completely for the first time. And what I would say is, you have to be consistent because if you're not, then those food antigens, so those allergens are always in your system. So the antibodies that you make to foods last, if they're immunoglobulin Gs, last around 23 days. Wow, so that's, 23 so that's days. Their, so the half-life is 23 days. So to go from however many antibodies you have to half that number is 23 days. So to get rid of them altogether is going to take about four to six weeks somewhere. Yeah. So if you're eating, uh, if it was dairy, say, or gluten, 
every two weeks, then those antibodies are never going to leave your system and you're never going to have chance to heal. Mm. So unfortunately, switching it off at the weekends is not going to work for elimination diets. If you're thinking about a low-carb diet and maybe having a little bit more carbs at the weekend, that's a different matter. And actually, we know that if you give yourself some metabolic flexibility, so you're going in and out of fat burning and carb burning, that can actually be a really beneficial to do for some thing, thing to do for some people. Oh, that's interesting. That that in and out, that you know, a little bit of extra carb. Where do you see people doing really really well on that flex, slight flex? Um, plan. So the, the, the keto flex plan, um, sort of being in ketosis or really fasting Just five days rem- a week. Explain to the audience what ketosis is, because so, I know, and me, and you, <laughs> me and you totally know what it is. So ketosis is actually the, this new really big phenomenon, which is really out there at the moment for lots of people using it for weight loss. Yeah. Um, as a, as a doctor, we would be thinking about using ketosis therapeutically to heal the nervous system. Yes. So there's amazing new data from Dale Bredesen that if you're thinking about trying to reverse Alzheimer's disease, which has been done now successfully in several thousand patients. Really? Yeah. So if you can, if you put someone on a ketogenic diet so that they are not eating any carbs and eating very high fat, obviously healthy fats, Joanne, Yeah. then what, what we'll see is instead of burning sugar, their body switches over into this kind of different metabolism called ketosis and they burn fat instead. And that is really, really beneficial to the brain. So the brain's mainly made up of fat and it, the mitochondria that make energy in all your cells really like to burn fat. They've got about a third more advantage uh, in terms of energy production when they're in that fat burning mode. So it's a really sort of nourishing state to be in and it's a, it's a high repair state to be in. You wouldn't want to try and kind of build muscle necessarily from a, a ketogenic state because it's it's not anab- it's not anabolic. Yeah, uh, It's very much about repair. But when you are in ketosis, you can start producing chemicals like BDNF, so brain-derived neurotropic factor, and these can be seen to actually start repairing the brain. Uh, and Dale Bredesen's got these amazing sequences of showing people's hippocampus, so the centre that has uh, memory in the brain. Centre of the brain, yeah. Yeah, that they can actually see it growing in three on 3D scans with dietary changes. So that, ketosis. That's, <laughs> that's like, very rarely am I speechless, but I'm so... Yeah. <sighs> So the, the first time I read uh, Dale, Dale Bredesen's book, The End of Alzheimer's, and was reading about people's experiences uh, going from non-functioning, not being able to work, to being back at work and functioning highly again, I was just blown away. I was actually crying on the plane. I'm, I'm feeling emotional now. <laughs> I'm feeling yeah. deeply, because I, you know, we both heard real horror stories, and we're saying there's a solution. So it's not necessarily simple. Um just a ketogenic diet alone yeah. is part of the part of the the solution to um, the causes of, of Alzheimer's disease, of which there are many. And and really, it's a very very holistic and detailed plan which he's he's drawn up. Um, but the successes which he's seeing at the Book Institute are just unparalleled. With and there's no drug that works like a holistic lifestyle treatment plan. So, yeah, not only for Alzheimer's, but we're also using ketogenic diet for uh, MS. So Terry Valls, uh, very famously, is is a big proponent of ketogenic diet for her patients. 
Um, and we're also, you can use it for migraines and for chronic pain. Um, the flex part of it, which is where you stay in ketosis, say five days a week, and then start burning a little bit of carbs with a low carb diet, but not ketogenic diet at the weekends, um, is actually great for somebody who doesn't need to remain in that repair mode all the time. So especially, um, people that want to just lose some weight or athletes, if you want to train, um, it's quite nice to kind of have a bit of extra carbs, uh, sometimes, um, yeah, so Deep ketosis, great for epilepsy and, and brain brain disease. Um, lighter ketosis with maybe some low low GI diets could be good for everybody, provided that your thyroid is working well. Oh, can we talk about the thyroid? We can talk about the <laughs> can thyroid. Can we talk about like, the <laughs> Are you seeing more thyroid issues than you were maybe when you first started practicing? Uh, yes, but I think that's possibly because um, people know that I treat more thyroid <laughs> disease. Yeah. Um, it's certainly, my, my practice is mainly autoimmune disease, chronic fatigue. Um, there's quite a lot of thyroid within that. So most thyroid disease is autoimmune in origin. Not Certainly not all, but quite a lot. Um, and then a fair proportion of my chronic fatigue patients will have some degree of thyroid dysfunction. Mm. Um, yeah, so I do see quite a lot of thyroid. I would say maybe up to a third of my patients have some degree of thyroid dysfunction. Because mm. you're finding that people are talking about it more and more these days and, and finding that that is the thing, this this kind of like insidious, quiet piece of the puzzle where people just feel off, just not quite on their game. They're tired. And then they come to somebody like Dr. Sarah, who's rock and roll and... And it, it's literally transformational. Yeah, and, and I think part of the problem is that I'll tend to see people after they've already been to someone else for advice. So I'm very much I maybe a second or a third opinion. Uh, very Or a fifth or sixth in one of our experiences. <laughs> yeah, so um, and we think one of the problems that we're facing at the moment is that the NHS testing is quite constrained um, for, for thyroid disease in particular. So we tend to just be looking at the thyroid stimulating hormone level, TSH. Um, if you're lucky, sometimes we can see T4. But from a functional perspective, if we want to optimise the way that the thyroid gland works, you want not only a normal functioning gland, which is in your neck that produces this T4 hormone, but you also want the conversion of that hormone into its active form in the liver to, to happen well. And so what I'm increasingly seeing, especially in my fatigued patients, is that there are reasons for which they are making, say, their thyroid hormone, but they're not able to then turn it on into the active form T3. Or they may, because of extreme stress, be in a, a kind of hibernation type mode where they're making a, an inactive hormone called reverse T3, which blocks their uh, hormone receptors and makes them appear hypothyroid even though there's nothing wrong with the thyroid gland. Whoa, that's complicated, isn't it? It's, it is it is complicated. So when I say, yes, I see lots of thyroid issues, they're not all about the thyroid gland not working. Lots of it is about the way that we're metabolising that thyroid hormone not being mm -hmm. right. And there's a lot of nutritional intervention that you can do to help kickstart the, the liver in, with that conversion uh, and kind of reduce the excessive reverse T3 in people who are very stressed for, for whatever reason. 
Well, I just, I just, when I, we have had lots of conversations and every time I have a conversation with you, I come away filled with so much hope. It makes me really, because you know that I've got this backstory of family health and I have a conversation with you and I come away with so much hope for as a generation and generations to follow that we can be really healthy and well if we listen to you. <laughs> It's not listening to me. I mean, this is, I'm just part of what is an absolutely bigger movement. Yeah. 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 If we listen to you in the movement, because people can be, people literally can change the course of really sick and being really ill and having very little to look forward to and having and thriving at life. That's why I love my job. And that's why, you know, I can't, I can't go back to, ever really just being an NHS GP again because I'm I'm just massively privileged to be able to see my patients who are just amazing people with who will come to me with being bed bound for for maybe a year um, and eventually they'll, they'll come and see me and we'd start very gradually looking at the reasons why it's happened unpicking them slowly and then you just see this amazing kind of transformation people who given the the resources that we have in the NHS would really not get a chance at recovery um, actually starting to flourish again and being able to return to their lives. Mm. And I think you've hit on something there. This isn't an either or. It's about acknowledging that, you know, these people would not get the care and the, or the support that you can offer. And we're not discounting anything that happens in the NHS, but we're just saying, you know what, you can you and your movement that you work with can really support these people where they wouldn't get that other way anywhere else. I think that's right. And I think what we do is really outside of the sphere of knowledge um, that, that NHS doctors have. So it's not that they're doing anything wrong and they don't have any other guidelines to follow uh, for these, these patients with chronic fatigue. But what we're really doing is really taking a deep dive into what's happening in the metabolism what kind of the, what the nutritional status is, whether they've got chronic infections, and then working with the immune system to try and improve immune function so that they can actually learn to maybe live with some of these, these chronic infections and, and improve the way their body works. Uh, what's amazing about functional medicine is that we're not actually trying to um, work against the body in the way that lots of the drugs do maybe for autoimmune disease, what we're trying to do is actually work with the body to get the immune system and uh, the hormones all working normally. And the, the, the body's got an amazing capacity to heal itself given those right conditions and it's finding the right conditions for each person that's the challenge. Mm. You still currently do one day a week as a general practitioner, as a GP. Yeah. In the NHS system. Um, how do you, I think it's really interesting, how do you blend the two together? So my problem working in the NHS um, is that I do have a tendency to overrun. Um, we only get 10-minute appointments. And for people with chronic health conditions, 10 minutes isn't it isn't adequate. Yeah. Okay, and that's widely acknowledged by so many GPs who are just crying out for longer appointments for people with chronic disease. But at the moment, we just don't have the capacity or the number of GPs to allow us to do that um, for for kind of <clears throat> quick and simple um, 
sounding out someone's chest and seeing if they need antibiotics for a chest infection. That's one thing. And um, my lovely colleagues tend to, um, if they if they're struggling with a patient with either digestive problems or fatiguing issues, usually recommend that the patients come and visit me and have a chat. So unfortunately, my my afternoon clinics, especially on a Monday, tend to be full of people with quite severe fatiguing illnesses. And I still only have 10 minute appointments. Um, I can't switch off being a functional medicine doctor at any point. I always will start from that question in my head of why. And I think what's important for me to do is just kind of open that up to the patient and give them the choice. It may not be that they want to have anything to do with changing their diet or doing any lifestyle changes. That might not even be something that they can do at this moment in time. And I'll happily prescribe antidepressants and refer for counselling and and do everything else that a normal GP would. Yeah. But I also have that if a child comes in with eczema, rather than just putting steroid on all the time, I'll have that conversation with the mother about, have you thought about what the triggers might be? Have you thought about maybe a trial of some different diets? And what I find that, especially with children, it's amazing that the response that you can get with some really simple dietary changes, which don't require um, huge input um, from from my perspective. Uh, and then if I can find that there is a food that's a challenge, I can then send them off to paediatrics to be supported by the NHS dietitians. So it's 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 you work really beautifully hand in hand with what you've always done to now what you do on a daily basis. Yeah, I would say it's getting more stressful yeah. to, to to remain doing NHS work just just because of the this kind of time pressure that I'm feeling at the moment. Basically, you are so rock and roll, you are busy as a the busiest person that I probably know because your patients are just like this works. Everybody's referring you because it works. So, yeah, you've 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 got to really own that space, haven't you? Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know how much longer I'll be able to continue doing the two for because yeah. I think with my, my private practice growing so much, um, I think at some point I'm going to have to let those NHS sessions go so that I can really concentrate on helping the patients that I really love working with. Yeah. Yeah. And we've got a great plan. Yeah, we have a great plan. We have a great plan. One of the things that I did want to touch on today, you shared with me earlier about some of the biggest lessons in leadership. And one of them was the degree of, I can't say this word, scepticism from GPs and hospital specialists about functional medicine and how simple changes in diet can really alter the course of severe illness. How have you fortified yourself against that issue? It was really difficult at first. Um, but now, you see, I've just got so much experience in functional medicine. Now, I've, I've been doing this sort of three and a half, four years uh, in, in private practice. And I've just seen so many patients get better that I know it's not just a coincidence. Um, so the fact that the rheumatologist sees one of my arthritis patients who's completely in remission and is off all of their drugs and is now able to start a family because she's no longer taking anything toxic. Um, he just said, that, well, that just happens sometimes. And, and it's it's so dismissive for the patients, and I actually really feel for the, the patient. But for me now... Can I pause you? Because yeah. that patient, I know firsthand how much effort... She's put in. That yeah. patient has put in, and to literally have all that effort dismissed. Having worked in the field of, of health coaching, because I have that in my toolkit of working with leaders, that can literally derail somebody. 
It can. So, and especially so for adults, it's quite easy for them to kind of say, okay, I'm working with Dr. Sarah. It's fine. She knows what she's doing. She's got loads of experience in this. But when I'm dealing with uh, with children with complex needs who are changing their diets and perhaps doing other things with, um, if the paediatrician then walks all over what I'm suggesting to the parent, that's quite difficult for the parents to deal with. And, and I get really cross when I can see really, really good improvement um, with the plan that we've got. And then the parents will decide maybe that they're not going to do that anymore because the hospital has told them, oh, they don't need to do any special diets. There's there's no evidence for it. There's so much evidence for what we do. It's just not in the journals necessarily that that those doctors are reading. Or when it is in the in the journals, no one's interested. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is that mindset that if I didn't learn it at medical school, it, it doesn't exist. Yeah. Um, so how are you fortifying yourself against that? What do you do? What do you need to remind yourself every day? So every day, I just need to tell tell myself that we are rock and roll, and and we do, we do, we do make people better. And and you know, I can't, I don't doubt that in myself. And it's nice to just be able to share with with patients that actually it's okay. Just your consultant is feeling challenged because this is a sphere of knowledge that they have no training in, and they really feel that makes them feel uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that is a great non-judgmental position to put yourself in between the patient and maybe the consultant. And you've got to remember, I've been there as well. So I've been that that doctor oh, yeah. who's, you know, come out of medical school, you come fresh out of medical school and you've learned all the clinical trials about all the drugs and you know everything until you learn that you don't know anything. Uh, and the, the process of functional medicine, not only for me, has been about learning about nutrition, which nobody ever taught me about med school, and learning about stress and lifestyle and, and exercise, but also is about unlearning all of those preconceived ideas um, that I thought I knew yeah. that I'd been taught on my medical training. So there was a lot of kind of winding back, taking a step back and being able to go, oh my goodness, I've been misled and that is that is how I feel a little bit about um about our medical training is that at at points we are actually being misled and so much of our training is about trials that have been funded by big pharma whose main interest is profit and it's not always in the best interest of the patients Mm -hmm. Uh, and we're just learning to see that there is not there's a fine line sometimes between um, clinical trials looking for the best for patients and, and clinical trials which perhaps uh, are, are not being done correctly um, mm. which leads to mis- you know misleading the profession so that we're not perhaps always doing the right things for patients. It's a really challenging situation. It's a very it? challenging situation um, and, and I think it's really it's really good to remind patients when they say well why did my own GP not, not say this is to, to remind them that that GP has only the amount of knowledge that they've been given to work with and they're doing their best. Yeah, or as we say when we talk about value systems and families know right or wrong, no good or bad, everybody's doing the best with the tools that they've been given to them at that time. Absolutely. But somebody like you, you've gone, I want a new toolkit. Absolutely. So I have like this massive toolbox now. <laughs> yeah. So I've got all my normal kind of medical toolbox, but also, yeah, 
an amazing, huge new toolkit from functional medicine. And from what I know about you, that toolkit just grows and grows and grows. Absolutely, all the time. And and the, the best place to learn functional medicine from is patients from just getting in there and doing it because... The, the protocols that we're, that we're using and the, the tools that we're using are not necessarily always well-trialed. Yeah. So they don't, we don't have necessarily great bodies of knowledge telling us that, you know, this kind of diet's great for rare syndrome X because yeah. it's just that, that, that research hasn't been done. But the amazing thing about our toolbox is it's really non-harmful. Yeah, so we're not prescribing things that are perhaps toxic. We're basically using dietary and nutritional intervention uh, for, for the most part to, to try and elicit responses. And if it goes wrong, you've not, there's no harm done. You can yeah. kind of step back and try something else. Yeah, pivot yeah. and go. Um, um, uh, and I think that when people understand, patients understand that that is going to be the path. It's going to be a little bit, well, we're going to try this and we think this could be really helpful. But you know what? There may be a time where we're just going to take a right turn here at this plan and try something slightly different. And I think when patients start to hear, this is the way that I recover from health, it starts changing the way that they may be put into play the actions and how they respond to the tools that you're giving them. And it's not just the tools that I'm giving them. There's a lot. There's so much now with the with the birth of the internet and kind of the democratization of healthcare. So people can go out and get their own blood tests done. Uh, they can go online and hear from massive, massive groups of other people with the same condition and hear what's happened to them and what things have been beneficial and what hasn't been beneficial. That actually, there's so many people out there treating themselves. I. I Virtually always find all my chronic fatigue patients have tried quite a lot of stuff before they come and see me. Uh, sometimes with good success and sometimes not. Yeah. I love the word democratisation of health. Yeah. That's a good, that's a good description. Taking it out of the hands of the doctors and putting, putting the responsibility of health squarely in the patient's court. So functional medicine is all about uh, education. Yeah. Telling, showing people how their bodies work, showing them how their immune systems work, helping them find out for themselves what works for them. Because there isn't, there's no one right diet for everybody. There's not one set of supplements that everyone should take. It's actually really nuanced. Uh, and it depends, of course, on your genes and your environment uh, and where you've come from. And and finding that that nuanced balance for every patient is is something that they have to participate in it's not something i can do for them Mm. Uh, if it comes to changing the diet that is something they're going to have to do and so they have to develop those tools and skills um and that resilience to do it for themselves and also you have a great support team in your in your practice as well that supports the patient to put in play and create this new way of being and living Yes, so um, at the moment uh, I work with my nutritional therapist, Ursula Gothard, and she's she's been an experienced nutritional therapist now. She's, she's used to work in the eighth day in Manchester. And um, she's been working with me for 18 months now. And, and it's been amazing having her on board because uh, of her knowledge about the sort of the breadth of supplements and just somebody else to bounce ideas off, really. She's, she's often really very insightful when I've missed something major um and so that we can work with 
with patients maybe with slightly less severe problems um, than we currently see, we're also going to start working with a new team of health coaches. Um, so the health coaching team is really going to be involved in helping patients implement the plans that I've written, but but without needing lots of my time. And so these are really highly uh, trained uh, coaches who are good at going to help people with um changing their behavior which is something that's actually really difficult and which I'm not really trained in behavioral mm. change mm. Um, and then also um, people who are, understand how functional medicine works so they've all been trained in the functional medicine techniques that we use uh, and I really have got experience of those and can really help people troubleshoot and if there's ever any problems they've got access to, to me and, and Ursula as a team. It's a real force to be reckoned with that model. Yeah. It is. How um, how do you find a family and business balance without losing your sanity and feeling guilty, Sarah? <laughs> I haven't got there yet. <laughs> um, I think it's kind of still a work in progress. And I go through I go through periods of of getting all my work sorted and in a box and being able to package it into the week so that I can have my weekends off. And then every now and again, I get a bit excited and try to do a new thing, which then eats into my weekends. Um, my family have just been so tolerant and supportive of me. I've been studying uh, functional medicine now seriously with IFM for five years, just passed up all my final exams. Um, and that's just taken it's just taken a lot of, of hard work and sort of extra weekends and uh, and building a business. Can we talk about building a business? <laughs> talk about building a business. I have no business training whatsoever. So the fact that I am still, I have actually made some money from, uh, from doing this um, functional medicine it is actually probably. You know what good. I you know what I call you, don't you? My no. secret entrepreneur. Secret entrepreneur. My secret entrepreneur of like, oh, you know, I just just don't really know what I'm doing with this business. Then we unpack it, and I'm like. You have created a brilliant business. Uh, has there been that entrepreneurial thread in your family or like where maybe you were doing it on a unconscious, competent level without even realizing it? I don't know. I mean, in my professional life as a as an NHS GP, I mean it's 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 a dirty, dirty secret, isn't it? Making money out of people who are sick. It, it took it's taken me so long. No, I still feel guilty about charging people that are sick. No, we're working on <laughs> I'm that. Working on that. <laughs> we are working on that. Um, but but as an NHS GP, it's just never. There's no entrepreneurial as, aspect to it at all. Yeah. Um, but for my family, I mean, my I come from a line of uh, entrepreneurs. Really, my mum uh, was a dentist and really involved in her own business when she was working. Uh, and my grandfather is an Irish immigrant who built his own huge engineering business uh, and. Did, did really well. So, so yeah, maybe I've, I've inherited a bit of the, uh, yeah. the Irish yeah. kind of entrepreneur's treat. That wiliness of, like, <laughs> let's do it, let's go. And also, um, you're quite, you're, you're not scared of a bit of adventure when it comes to business. No, that, yeah, my husband doesn't like that, so. <laughs> you, you're quite, you're quite willing to go for it. I'm quite, I'm quite willing to, to try new things, um, also, especially if encouraged, you see, so the problem, oh, yeah. the problem yeah. setting up a functional medicine practice was that there was just nobody to copy. There was no model to look to. Um, the American model of healthcare 
is just so different from our own yeah. that that there was really no comparison to be had. So I did just start as just me in in one room, hiring the room by an hour by the hour when I needed it um, to to kind of building a practice team and surrounding myself by these amazing women who are all really supportive of me and each other and who just yeah make the business work really well. Mm, and I think I want I, I really want to commend you because you're the leader in that community. So you have created that culture of support and accountability and drive. And that's down to you. Oh, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. It's all true. I'm all about us owning and celebrating our own success. So I want you to own how you inspire others. I actually, I really, I'm so passionate about functional medicine that I can't really help it. So what I, what I do at the moment is I allow two doctors a month any more than that starts to get a little bit um pressing with my time so two doctors a month come and sit in clinic with us and for that day I will teach and talk to them and kind of answer any questions they have because it's very very difficult to get any experience watching functional medicine in, in practice and in action um and it's just so amazing to meet these young doctors who are all being trained in the traditional western medical role all going when can I get out of hospital medicine and sort of do, do nutrition? And you have to kind of say, no, no, it's, you need to become a consultant grade so that you can actually do the work and work independently and be a prescriber. Um, but these guys, they're, they are, they're fantastic. And um, if I can kind of share my enthusiasm with them and bring them on as the next, uh, you know, set of leaders in functional medicine then then that's fantastic oh you've just given me goosebumps because you are so passionate about what you do yeah that just... yeah well I've, there's already there's there's about four or five uh female doctors that i started working with before they opened their practices and now i like look at their websites and their clinics and think wow this is amazing in fact um i i wrote my website about three <laughs> Three and a half years ago, one weekend myself, and um, when I started looking at all the the new practices that were opening with their beautiful like marketing and, <laughs> and nice websites, I decided I probably had to pull my finger out and <laughs> do something about my own. So yeah, these women really, really rock. Yeah, yeah, it's exciting. It's, it's exciting, and it's lovely to see other people progressing. Yeah, we're not we're not in competition. It's a really kind of big community. The functional medicine. Uh, community yeah you're really out there leading it in the UK yeah well there's not many of us yet um so I think there's like 11 fully qualified doctors for the whole of for, the UK uh, well who have certified with with IFM there are people doing uh, other things um but there's loads more coming through who are working their way up to certi full certification and um yeah from when I first started three and a half years ago when I think if you looked for it on a the Find the Practitioner website, there must have been sort of 10 or 11 of us in total, none of whom had kind of completed the course to, to now when there must be 150 people in the UK doing this. Um, yeah, the growth is, is quite astonishing. So what advice would you offer new and future doctors, leaders or business owners having trekked this intrepid journey of growing an incredible practice? So to doctors who think that they would like to practice functional medicine, I would say this is either something you really want to do 
or perhaps just stay in your role. It's not an easy transition from NHS medicine. Um, it's not necessarily well regarded by your colleagues. And so you just, you're going to need quite a lot of resilience to kind of... Gumption. Make, and gumption, yeah, to make that transition. Um, but then the other problem is that once you start thinking as a functional medicine practitioner, when you, once you start thinking about the root cause all the time and why is this happening and why is no one else around me worrying about all of this when I am, um, the, you can't really undo that. It's the Pandora's box. You've opened it and... Yeah. And then you've got to do it. And if yeah. you're if you're not an entrepreneur or not stupid enough like me to just decide to do it anyway, um, then then that that's going to be quite that that can be quite um, terrifying, really, um, because there's no jobs to just walk into. You're you're making this your own. Yeah. Um, but on the other hand, if I can do it, probably most people can. You just need to have that belief in yourself. Got to get have to get up and go, get, Sarah. Get the right guidance. Yeah. Ask. If you don't know what what you're doing, ask someone who appears to know what they're doing, yeah. and, and take their advice and get on with it. Yeah. Um, I can't say I would I wouldn't do anything really differently than I've done. I've I've just had this kind of organic growth uh, to my practice. Now I'd do it all again. Um, yeah, and you I, do it with such joy. And hopefully in the future, so this is the plan with the whole work-life balance, which you asked me about in yeah. <laughs> before, is that although I'm working really hard now, I'm hoping that at some point that's going to translate into me being able to do a more manageable job during the week mm-hmm. that then translates into a little bit more balance in my life as well. It will do. Um, hopefully. It As will it, do. It's not as though being a GP is a particularly more balanced lifestyle. So that's, that's a 10, 11 hour job. Yeah. You know, the, the the days days of general practitioners now are extremely long, are extremely tiring. There's there's so much paperwork at the moment that I can see why it's quite attractive to this new generation of GPs to find a way out. Mm. Um, so functional medicine is not an easy way out, but it's definitely something that if you're passionate about it, uh, you can make it work. So how does Sarah relax outside of being a doctor? <sighs> well, I'm just about to go on a three-week trip uh, to to Germany, to Bavaria, with my family. So I, I married um, a guy who's who's really good at rock climbing, uh, and I've actually been climbing since I was about seven or eight with my dad. So I started climbing outside, uh, and I've never been a great climber, but I just really love the great outdoors. Um, so yes, we're about to go off and and do some um, bolted sport routes in Bavaria. And we take the children usually at the weekend climbing either indoors or outdoors. So, yeah, climbing is is my kind of relaxation. And at the same time, it's my exercise, which is good. I need I need kind of a kick up the backside to do more exercise, really. It's the first thing that goes out the window when I'm busy. Yeah. <laughs> As with many, many individuals. So yeah. it's not about being perfect. It's about making progress, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and relaxation otherwise... So, I mean, I was born up, I was, I was brought up uh, in a family who all meditated. Um, and so I was introduced to, to, to TM meditation when I was 10. And so I used to meditate and then I had children. And then um, I like, when if I can find half an hour twice a day to sit down at some point, I might start again. <laughs> we should maybe introduce that into their practice. Maybe we should. Yes. So yeah, it's, it's that's actually a really bad um, uh, advert for a functional medicine practitioner. I can kind of give out the advice 
to relax and meditate, but currently I'm struggling to find the time myself. But you do many other brilliant things to look after yourself. Yeah, so so I, I eat reasonably well and I do try and kind of exercise and I have to spend as much of, of my time at weekends as just family time when I can yeah. switch off and just, just be with yeah. them. Yeah, it's about progress, not perfection, Sarah. Thank you, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, but yeah. if we, if any of us who work in our field of doing what we do, we, you know, banging perfection, we'd have just clients failing all the time. Yeah. Because that's not real life. I said to somebody we were speaking to earlier, that I want perfection removed from the, the dictionary. Because when you're seeking that, you are just on one miserable trail of never being satisfied in life. So yeah, we don't want, we don't need perfection. No. We just need progress. Just, just progress. Yeah. What's an, what's a what does the future hold for you, Doctor Sarah? Well, I want to kind of continue growing my clinic. We're about to start actually stocking our own supplements, which is real, really big progress for me. Um, I think it would just be nice that our patients will be able to come in and be able to walk away with the whole package as yeah. they leave. Um, yeah, so we're going to start having our own supplement business. Um, we're going to expand the health optimization scheme so that more patients have access to me uh, without it taking vast sums of my time. Yeah. Um, and really about working sort of smarter. Yeah. Um, so oh, I'm looking forward to just carrying on learning. So uh, there is no, there's no end to learning when it comes to functional medicine. It just carries on. Where can people find you online, Dr. Sarah? So my website is uh, www.drsarahdavies.co.uk. Um, I'm sure if you just Google Dr. Dr. Sarah Davis functional medicine, I come up pretty much at the top. <laughs> yeah. Dr. Sarah, you have been an absolute joy, as always, and it's such a privilege to have you as a guest. Thank you, you for having me. You have dropped some incredible knowledge bombs that I know listeners will be sitting at home going, never knew that, and um, will have inspired a whole, you know, course change in how people look at medicine. So thank you. Thank you.